0: Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Indeed, you are a God who hides himself, O Lord, but you have made yourself known so that all can be saved. We ask you to work through the words of our sermon that we may know with confidence the ways that you have truly revealed yourself and promise to do so until your son's return. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Luke, as recorded in chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For a long time he had wanted to see him because he had heard many things about him. He hoped to see some miracle performed by him. He questioned him with many words, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the experts in the law stood there vehemently accusing him. Herod, along with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and ridiculed him. Dressing him in bright clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other on that day. Before this, they had been enemies of each other. This is the gospel history of our Lord. I heard it hundreds of times when I was younger. Something needed repaired, be it a vehicle or something around the house, and I was supposed to help my father. And with hands full, dad would turn to me and say, hand me that nine sixteenths wrench. Where is it? It's right there. Where is it? It's right there. Dad's hand slipping on the part, needing to get the bolt started. It's right in front of your face, dad would say in frustration. And it usually was right in front of my face. I had missed it. Herod wanted to see the Messiah, and he was right in front of his face. But it's not what Herod wanted. Today, we look at another irony in the Passion. He had been wanting to see Jesus, and yet what he saw before him, he totally missed, was the offer of his salvation. This began because he hoped to see a miracle. He wanted to see a flash and bang show. We're told he hoped to see some miracle performed by him. He questioned him with many words, But Jesus gave him no answer. As Isaiah has said in Isaiah 45, verse 15, God is a God who hides himself. And God is hidden behind the now abused already. He hasn't been scourged, but he's been punched and smacked by the temple guards, the now abused body of Christ. And Christ remains silent. He sees the Savior in front of him. He can do the miracles because he's God. He hoped to see a miracle And what he was seeing right before his face is the hidden God. But do we Christians miss it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, how often do Christians want to see miracles? Oh, certainly they know that Jesus did them. And we've learned that Jesus did those to confirm that he and his message were the ones to put your trust in. He gave the apostles the ability to do miracles so the people would know that the message they were proclaiming was from God. But today we want to do miracles, don't we? Boy, wouldn't it be nice if I could just do a miracle and make the coronavirus disappear? Wouldn't it be nice if we could do the faith healing thing? So often Christians want to see miracles so bad that they'll convince themselves that they're doing them even when there's a simple scientific explanation for it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, many Christians come demanding miracles from God and right in front of their face, they deny the actual miracles. For example, God gives us faith through a miracle. And we actually get to see the end result of that product, or we get to see it started on a baby when water is poured onto that child. Oh, Christians deny there's a miracle there. They say, how can that possibly give faith? Because it's not just water. It's the Word. And the Word has a promise. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations, By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or think of the words the Apostle Peter spoke on Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 38. When the Pentecost crowd realizing they had shouted crucify on Good Friday. They say what should we do? Peter says repent and be baptized every one of you resulting in forgiveness. And you will receive a gift from God. The gift is the Holy Spirit and this promise is for you and your children. We see a miracle and miss it. In an adult, the miracles that God's even brought them to the baptismal font where He seals His Holy Spirit. In a child, we see faith begun because Jesus promises that that gives faith. People miss it. Christians miss it all the time. They say, how could a wafer of bread and a sip of wine possibly give forgiveness? How could they possibly give the body and blood of our Lord? They miss it. Like Herod, they're looking for the pomp and splendor of this world's fireworks show. And again, the answer is how can it be there? Because it's not just bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, it's His Word. It's His promise. This is my body. This is my blood. How can that be? We leave that up to God. But by faith, we trust His words, and we trust that Word for the forgiveness of sins. And then it nourishes that very faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Word of God works for us. He works through a little child telling others, Jesus is my Savior. He works through an old person in a nursing home who can hardly speak telling someone in Christ their sins are forgiven. And it doesn't have the flash and bang of this world's fireworks show. We go looking for miracles, and like Herod, we can miss what's right before us. When we go demanding miracles, one of the great miracles Jesus did was when the people had followed him out into the desert and he preached to them and there wasn't enough time for them to get back before the marketplaces would close and buy food. So he feeds from a boy's lunch sack, he feeds 5,000 men. Now, if there was 5,000 men and each man was married and had one child, and remember in those days they had much larger families, They had just one child, 5,000 men. That's 15,000 people. What a miracle. And that miracle was to nourish the people. But we always forget that the very next day they followed him. They ran across the lake and were going to force him to be their king because that's what they wanted. They wanted miracle bread all the time. I don't want to have to go to work. I don't want to have to worry. Just fill my stomach with miracle bread. They wanted a bread king. And they missed it. When Jesus told them he is the bread of life, he was telling them, I'm more concerned about your eternal life. I'll take care of that part. I've proven that yesterday. But you need to first and foremost understand that I save your soul. And they walked away. In fact... Today, aren't our itching ears tempted to run off when we hear preachers screaming, if you'll give me so much of your income, God's going to double that and triple that. God's going to take away life problems. But what did Jesus say? He said, if you're going to follow him, you've got to take up a cross. Your stomach is going to have hunger pains at times. Your back is going to be flayed by unbelievers at times. And we miss the miracle That he's given us the faith that we won't deny our Lord. That we can trust even when our stomach's growling that God is taking care of us. Many Christians demand miracles and they want to say the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And that comes in many different forms. Luther in frustration and somewhat ridicule labeled them the enthusiasts, whipping up their emotions and everything. And they miss the miracle of the Word of God. In fact, most of the time they say the Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. And they miss the fact that the Word of God actually contradicts that. And the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's not the Holy Spirit speaking through them. The miracle is the fact that God has given us His Word. And we can read it and we can hear it. And as I've already mentioned, a child or even a 90 or 100 year old person who hardly has the wind power to move their vocal cords can share that miracle. Herod had been wanting to see Jesus. He'd hoped to see a miracle and what was right in front of his face. What he didn't realize is what he was seeing was the hidden God, the Savior before him. Now, Christ remains silent as he asks him with questions. And there's a reason for that, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just that Jesus knows that if he speaks in his defense, it's not going to do him any good anyways. The last words, the last inspired words Herod heard from any man of God was from John the Baptist. Recall that John the Baptist stood before Herod and told him, You know how your sister-in-law is actually your sister? Yeah, that's a sin. And by the way, you know how you took her from your brother, so you know you committed adultery with her? That's also a sin that damns you to hell. And the result of this is he's thrown in prison and he gets beheaded. Jesus' silence means the last word, the recorded word spoken to Herod, is the law. The law showing that he needs a savior. That his rebuke still stands. And now he has the opportunity to confess his sins and be forgiven. What does he do instead? Herod along with his soldiers treated him with contempt and ridiculed him. Dressing him in bright clothing. Since he's not going to give them an entertaining show of miracles, fireworks, pomp display. They want to see him dance like a circus monkey to the organ grinder. And if he's not going to dance they'll at least dress him up like a circus monkey and have their fun. God had already spoken clearly to Herod. You remain in unrepentant sin. Sometimes God's silence is God's law saying, stop and chew on what I have told you. But do we want to hear it? When God stands in silence, do we realize how we put our own dresses on him and his word? Oh, I don't want to hear that my favorite sin is a sin. So we'll just say, if God loved me, he created me this way, and he'll, he'll just turn his back to it, or, or he'll actually thank me for being this way. We put different dresses on him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, stop and think about how Herod has the Savior before him and chooses entertainment instead of actually confessing his sin and being told he's forgiven. Isn't that what we tend to want to do with worship in our selfishness? Oh, mom, do I have to go to church? Our children say, pastor's boring and Sunday school's boring. We said that when we were children because our sinful nature wants to be entertained. And how often is it now that people will run off to churches that give itching ears what they want to hear instead of stand on the Word of God or they will choose churches because they have a basketball league or a dart league or they have a better coffee bar. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how often is it that we will choose friends and family and the relationships we have over hearing the pure word of God? But if we do that, then we miss the sting of the law, which in its sting reminds us we need a Savior. And then we miss the soothing balm of the gospel. We have a Savior. When we water down either one of those, it's only ourselves we hurt as we choose entertainment instead. Herod was shown the Savior, but he chose entertainment. We can be tempted to do the same. In the long run, we are told, dressing him in bright clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other on that day. Before this, they had been enemies of each other. See, They say there's two bulls in a pasture, as we say in Wyoming, when you have two men having a power struggle. Pilate had been sent by the Roman emperor, but a previous Roman emperor had made Herod's father the the head over this region. And, And so they were constantly in conflict. Each one resented the control and the power of the other. Pilate sees a way out of his dilemma. Pilate tries to remain neutral. I know this guy's innocent and I don't want to have his blood on my hands. Ah! An escape clause. Hot potato! Throw this over to Herod. He's a Galilean. This is Herod's jurisdiction. Man, got out of that one. And think about what a compliment that would be to Herod because it would recognize his jurisdiction, his ruling power. Herod does the same thing. Uh Uh-oh. I don't want anything to do with this. I can tell this man's innocent. Hot potato, throw it back to Pilate. And by doing so, think of what that was telling Pilate. I recognize the validity of your power, of your position. Even says you're smarter than I am. This is a predicament we both have, but you can figure this out better than I can. Scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. They both felt complimented. They became strange bedfellows. Now that term bedfellows came because, you know, like here in Wyoming in the early days at Fort Laramie and Fort Casper and stuff, soldier was, was issued one blanket. What if it got cold? What if it got really cold? If you lied in bed with another man, this is not in a sexual way, then you put your blanket on top of his. Not only did you have two blankets on top of you, but you two staying close together would keep each other warm. These men, it's recorded in history... They didn't get along. They were two bulls in a pasture. But both of them trying to remain neutral, trying to play politics and get out of it, they end up becoming strange bedfellows with each other. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we can do that as well, can't we? When Christians won't stand on the word of God, when Christians refuse to hear that God never gives us permission to teach his word falsely, When Christians in fear of persecution try to be neutral, we get ourselves in trouble, don't we? Look at the Lutheran Church in America alone. Look at the merger of one denomination after another into another as they tried to remain neutral about problems. We can just agree to disagree. And you know what always happens? It always comes at the expense of the Word of God. Strange bedfellows means being neutral there. Jesus In his letter to the people of Laodicea in Revelation, tells them, You are neither hot nor cold. Since you are not hot, I will spit you out of my mouth and into the flames. How scary it is, brothers and sisters in Christ. Remaining neutral is turning our eyes to the good news of salvation. And it begins by turning away from the condemnation of the law that shows us we need a Savior so that we're numb to the message that we actually have a Savior and He's come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I wear prescription glasses. And if you wear those, you know, you set those down at times as you're doing something, and then you look up and you can't find them. I've learned to hide a pair of prescription glasses in the same desk drawer, so I run and get those so I can actually find my prescription glasses, and they're usually right in front of my face. God has given us prescription glasses. He's given us faith. So the irony is, Herod had been wanting to see Jesus. He'd hoped to see a miracle and and missed that he had the hidden God standing before him. But you and I have the prescription glasses of faith. So we see the miracle that he's given us the ability to see God hidden, working behind the natural principles that govern this universe, God hidden behind Christ on the cross, God hidden behind you as you share others the good news of salvation. Herod was shown the Savior, but he chose entertainment. You and I have the prescription glasses of faith. And it's easy for us to want to indulge in our sinful nature and change worship into what's entertaining for us. But with the prescription glasses of faith, we come and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me. And we trust by the miracle of faith that the words of absolution, that our sins are forgiven. Herod and Pilate became strange bedfellows, brothers and sisters in Christ. But you, by the prescription glasses of of faith that God has given you, you see that you are now united to Christ as a branch is to the vine. So you don't just see your Savior, you're connected to Him. In a spiritual way that defies understanding, you know His blood flows through you. It's right in front of your face. Indeed, God hides Himself, but He's revealed Himself to you, and He is your God and Savior. Amen. To him who has revealed himself to you, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all time, now, and to all eternity. Amen.